Good morning. It's good to see everyone. If you would uh, take your Bibles, find a Bible there in the pew if you do not have one, or if you've got a phone, I know you can find one on there. So uh, this, morning, this morning we're in 1 Peter once again. We are coming to the end of this epistle. We're in the last sections here. Uh, this morning we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. But in this last section, what Peter is doing is giving some exhortations. And they're almost like just coming at you type exhortations, um, almost in a staccato fashion, just one after the other, of things he is telling the believers, these scattered, persecuted believers, that they must do, attitudes they must have, important that they must have the attitudes that he lays out here in this closing section. Look at verses 5 through 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to just focus on that this morning. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And then he gives here uh, a, a proverb. He gives sort of the main points, the main theme of what he's talking about in these verses. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so he gives this propositional statement, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Just preceding it, you have two imperatives. Because God is opposed to the proud, and because he gives grace to the humble, you see the word for in front of that? Those two imperatives, therefore, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Those are the imperatives that sort of come out of that propositional statement that God is opposed to the proud. And then he gives another imperative, therefore, you see that in verse 6? It too is connected. It's another imperative that's connected to that propositional proverb. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Since God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's sort of how this is broken down for us. It's not hard to figure out what the theme of this paragraph is. Humility, humility. And the proverb is the hinge of the passage. It's from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. You don't have to turn there, but it's not worded exactly that way. But it says this at the end of Proverbs 3, 34. Yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The word afflicted is the idea he gives grace to the one who bends himself. You ever use that term with somebody? Are you going to bend on this issue? It's sort of the same idea. He gives grace to the one who bends himself. That's where that proverb in 1 Peter chapter 5 is taken from. Also in James chapter 4, that same proverb is repeated. We aren't going to look at that this morning, but I just want you to get the the main idea of, of this subject and where it's rooted in. The Greek word for proud is the, it means to shine above others. It means to show oneself above others. That's the word proud. The main idea is, uh, with pride is that you uh, see yourself exalted above other people. And you look down on them in some way. 
And it also happens toward God. That's toward people, but this is also happens toward God. Toward, toward, toward people, I sort of set a standard, and I look down on you if you don't meet up to that standard. I'm kind of the standard, so you don't meet up to that, then you're, I look down on you. Pride toward God looks a little differently. It, it, it's more expressed in self-sufficiency. I don't need God. I am the captain of my own ship. I'm autonomous. I don't need his help for anything. I see myself that way as independent and self-reliant. And I have better ideas than he has anyway. That's pride toward God. I can handle life on my own. I really don't need him. And that is who God is opposed to. God is opposed to those who exhibit that kind of pride toward people and that kind of pride toward God himself. And you know, it was the first sin that was committed in the whole universe. Satan it's sort of by spontaneous generation. We don't know where this came from, but spontaneous generation from within the greatest creature that God ever created, the greatest, most beautiful creature that God ever created, the creature that would protect the holiness of God, the cherubim, was found in him this sin of pride. The I am's, I wants, I wills of Satan in Isaiah 14 and and uh, other passages where he just speaks his, of his rebellion against a holy God. I want to be God. I want to be in God's place. That is the voice and the language of pride. And that was pride was passed on to the human race through Satan. And we know how that story goes. But the point is, man wants to go his own way. Man does not want uh, God. Man wants to be God. Man wants to call all the shots. Pride comes naturally to all of us. Humility does not. Humility does not. I have no problem being a proud person. I have lots of problems with humility. All of us do. John Calvin says, There's a no man who does not cherish within him some idea of his own excellence. End of quote. If you're human, this is an issue. It's the root of every single sin I commit. I got a better plan. I got a better idea. I want to do it my way. Even when I'm trying to be spiritual, it comes out. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, you can do it in your giving. You can do it so people see how much you're giving. You can do it in your praying. So people see how pious you are. You can do it in your fasting, he says in Matthew chapter 6. And people can see, look at him, look at her, how spiritual they are. Matthew 23, it said the Pharisees do all their deeds to be noticed by others. So people will think more highly of them. So people will think of them in some superior way. Romans 12, Paul gives a warning there because he's talking about spiritual gifts. And he says, don't think of yourself. Uh, he, says, he says, don't think too highly of yourselves. Have a sane estimate of yourselves. Because it can, you get real prideful with, even in this whole era of doing things in spiritual gifts. 
First Corinthians 8.1, we studied this a while back, but in 8.1, the warning is knowledge puffs up. Here you come to a Bible church, and I tell you what, there's a lot of information that comes from Sunday school and here and other Bible studies. It's very easy, Paul says in Romans 8.1, to be prideful. It puffs you up, makes you arrogant. Causes me to be critical of others. That's what it does. Pride causes me to be critical to others. Well, I'll tolerate and excuse my own sin. I won't tolerate some things, things that you do. That's pride. We envy others. We resent others. We compare ourselves to others. We see ourselves as superior. We're threatened by others because they might show us up somehow. Our plans are better. Our gifts and abilities are more useful than anybody else's. One writer called it like, it's subtle, he says, it's very subtle. You think, you, you think you've mastered it and then you go out and write a book about it. You know, I'm, but he says it's like dandelions. It's like dandelions. You know how dandelions are in your yard? You get some of them out and they just pop up again, they just keep popping up. That's it, that's what, how it works. It's so subtle in us. Even in our best thing, even in our most best pursuits, when we do things, it's so easy for pride and to rise up in us. How does God respond to it? I just read that to you. God is opposed to it. That's a military term, by the way. That's a military term. That means that God takes up arms and goes to battle against those who are proud. And talking about Christians, I really think we, most of the discipline we experience in our Christian lives is because God is trying to humble us. God is trying to break us of our self-reliance. God is trying to break us of our lack of need for Him, our practical atheism where we believe in God, but in practice we act like He doesn't exist because we don't rely on Him for anything. But He's against it, that verse says. He's opposed to the proud. He, takes a rain, he arranges himself against the, the proud. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. He will not be unpunished. Isaiah 2, 12, for the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. Isaiah 2, 17, the pride of man will be humbled and the loftiness of men will be abased and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. See, pride is an attack on God himself. And we want to, because we want to elevate ourselves to his place. And this proverb, by the way, in 1 Peter 5, from, that is taken from Proverbs chapter 3, is in the context of contrasting the wise and the foolish. Evil people and righteous people are contrasted in Proverbs chapter 3. And so Peter's point here is that pride is antithesis of what it means to be a Christian, to be a proud person. I sometimes think about that. What do people think of Grace Church? What do they think about us? Uh, some people might say, well, they're very, you know, they take notes, so they, they're really into that. Um, they're uh, really into the theology. They're really Bible-driven. Those are all great things. They're a loving church. I hear that. That's a wonderful thing. But are we a humble church? Are we a humble church? That's Peter's concern. 
The church be humble. Let the church be humble. He says he gives grace to the humble. He's opposed to the proud in that proverb, but he gives grace to the humble. See, God, God, uh, grace is what God gives us. It, it, when I say, say grace, we sometimes think of it as unmerited favor, and that is true. But that's only half the picture. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. That's the big part about it. God giving me what I don't deserve. I deserve hell, and God does not give me that. That's grace. And God is always giving grace. It's a present reality. There's a common grace, yes, to the world, but there's a, a grace that we grow in, grow in grace. There's a grace that is continually being shown to us as believers. And the only way I can stop that up sometimes is pride. I don't earn grace by humility, but grace is a, is a reality. Grace is a prerequisite that must be there. It's a condition that must be there for God to bestow grace upon grace upon grace. He says, I'm with the lowly and contrite in heart. Who do I take notice of? God says in Isaiah 66, 2, to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. It's not the proud. Isaiah, Psalm 51, 17, the broken and contrite in heart who will not despise. The ancient Greeks did not really have a word for humility. They didn't see it as a virtue. They thought it was demeaning. Uh, it's really an Old Testament word that Paul uses here that's the idea of lowly. Uh, and that's what it sort of informs Paul's use of the word in the New Testament. But um, one lexicon defined it like this. It's, it's having a humble opinion of yourself, of oneself. It's a, a deep sense of, of moral littleness is the word. It's totally the opposite of self-esteem. It's the opposite of pride. It's what's necessary in salvation. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 and following, you have what are called the Beatitudes. Basically, the attitudes of those who are, on, or who are redeemed are on the path to redemption. And one of the first ones he says is, blessed is the poor in spirit. And that's the idea of poverty of spirit. That's the idea of littleness of spirit, littleness of, uh, of uh, moral, moral littleness. Lord, I don't have the resources in me. I don't have, I'm bankrupt. I don't have the resources necessary to please you. I don't have the resources necessary to be right with you. I am dependent on you to do something in me because I am bankrupt in spirit. I don't have anything. That's the word that's used there. I have nothing to offer. I just throw myself on your mercy. It's what you see with that tax collector who went to pray. Um, and he beats his chest. Remember, he doesn't even look up to heaven because he says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to even look up to you. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I'm a sinner. I'm a wretched man. He sees his condition. He recognizes his condition. 
He's beating his chest. That's, that's true repentance. I recognize what I am before you, God, and I recognize I need your mercy. And he cries out for that mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And see, this is the thing. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then, then the very fact that you're not a Christian is the very fact that you're exercising pride right now against God. Because basically God has shown you what you must do to be right with him, and you're telling him, no, you're wrong. Or, no, I'm not interested. Or, no, I have a better way to be right with you. And you've decided that you're not going to obey that command. And you decided you're not going to turn to him. And I just say to you, if you're, a, if you're not a Christian, and you've never bowed your knee, of pride, your prideful heart before him in brokenness, then you have no hope of being saved. Because the only hope we have is in Christ. The only hope we have is in crying out for mercy to God. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right with God. We cannot overcome the sin, the payment for the sin that we've committed ourselves. We can never pay for it. Christ did all of that. Our only hope is in Christ's work on the cross, his death, burial, his resurrection. That's all our hope is in. We have nothing else. The prideful do not like that approach. The prideful do not believe that approach. The prideful say, well, I don't know about that. They question it. They doubt it. They want to say all of those things. And the reality is they will one day end up in hell for rejecting it. You must acknowledge it. Here's a quote by Augustine. I like this quote. For those who would learn God's ways, humility, get this. If you want to learn God's ways, he says, here are Three things. Humility is the first thing. Humility is the second thing. And humility is the third thing. If you want to learn God's ways, it's all about humility. And then listen to this from Martin Luther. It is God's nature to make something out of nothing. That is why he cannot make anything out of the person who is not yet nothing. That's a great quote. That is so true. Here's the song we sing sometimes, Rock of Ages. This is one of the verses, verse 3. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Nothing. I bring nothing, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to these for, thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And so, humility... Is necessary for every believer and is the humble that God gives grace to. And I will say it starts in salvation and it goes all the way through your Christian life. This grace. When I think of grace, I think of power. I think of his presence. I think of his peace. I think of his uh, sustaining. He's sustaining me. I think of grace. I think of grace that he showed me. Peter uses this word grace a lot. He uses it when, we talk, when he's talking about before the foundation of the world. He chose you before the foundation of the world by his grace. He chose you at that moment of salvation when you put your faith in him by grace. He talks about we grow in grace. We're progressively made like Jesus Christ. It's a process of grace. He's continually showing us grace in that process. And one day it's by his grace we will see the exalted Christ. At his second coming, he will put his grace on display. 
We can't do anything without grace. And the last thing we want to be the last thing we want to be said about us is that we are opposed by God because of our pride. But I think that's the reason some Christians struggle so much to grow and get anywhere. They just feel stagnant and is because just the proud heart. I've heard people say, I got my feelings hurt. I've heard that statement, and I've said that statement, and I know how that, what that means, and I know what that's like. But I want to say to you that when you analyze that a little deeper, you start to realize feelings don't get hurt. Pride gets hurt. It's pride that gets hurt. And though there may be some wrongs done to us, we need to recognize that one of the greatest things God can do for us is help us to confront our pride. And sometimes he lets things happen in our lives that hurt our pride. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Because he wants to give us more grace. And so what Peter does here in these verses, in the time I have remaining, what he does here, he gives these imperatives that I mentioned earlier. You, you want to be on the path to humility? Well, this is what he does. He gives you some steps. He gives you some things here. Some things that you can do to attack the very pride in your heart by doing these things. Number one, you see in verse five, submission to spiritual leaders. Or you could even say just submission to any human authority, because Peter has talked about human authority throughout this letter. Submission to human authority. He's talked about it in lines of, of to government, he's, and which is an ungod, was an ungodly government. He's talked about it to, hus- to wives, to husbands. He's talked about it being submitted to one another. We've seen this over and over again. Here he's talking about submission to any legitimate authority in your life. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. He's been talking about elders in verses 1 through 4, and now he just talks about the church. And he, he goes to the younger men. Some people have said, and, and some commentaries will read the, uh, an understanding of this, he's, he's simply saying they would say, uh, he's just talking about younger men submitting to older men. And that's fine. I've read several on that, and that's fine. But I think, I think he's following the word elders from 1 through 4. So I think what we're saying here is there's no reason to change the meaning here, the context here. Elders are talking about the elders of the church. That's what we saw in verses 1 through 4. I believe that's what we're talking about here in Verse 5, younger men submit to those who serve in the office of elder. There's no article in front of it in verse 5. There's no article in front of the word elder in um, verses 1 through 4. So there's no reason to change its meaning in verse 5. Younger men submit to those who serve in the office of elder. Secondly, I think the word subject yourselves, I said it earlier, um, and every time Peter uses it, in First Peter, it's always in subjection to someone in authority. So I think that's what this is saying. Younger men, place yourself under the authority of the elders of your church. And you say, why younger men? And I would just simply say, I'm not exactly sure. 
Except the fact that I've been a younger man and I know, even as an older man, but as a younger man, I know younger men have a problem with authority. There you go. I said it. Younger men have a problem with authority. We do. We do. We're more independent in our thinking. We can be unruly. We can be wise in our own eyes. We're very susceptible to self-reliance. Uh, and unless we've been humbled, uh, we're very compulsive. I think that's possibly the reason. I can be true of everybody. Everybody can be like this. And I don't know what the cutoff is. I don't know how you say everybody at 35 and, older, older, 35 and younger we're talking. I don't know. But let's don't worry about all that. You want to attack your pride? Submit to authority. You want to attack your pride? Submit to the legitimate authority that's in your life. Listen, we're living in a culture that is not like authority. They hate authority. They hate authority. He says, if you want to pursue humility, Peter starts out by saying, just submit yourself to the rightful human authorities that God has placed in your life. And we struggle with authority. Like I said, it's whether it's in the home, we struggle with it. Whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your classroom, whether it's in government. Uh, we have to acknowledge God is sovereign. He has brought these authorities in our life for a reason. And, and a lot of it is to do with me, helping me become more like Christ. And we have as human authorities and they're not perfect and they never will be perfect. And he's call, called us to submit our wills to those authorities. He says in Hebrews 13, 7, we'll, as we're following this point that this is talking about church elders, he's saying, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and considering the, the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Uh, you follow godly leaders. You don't follow ungodly leaders. You follow godly leaders. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. you, you the idea there is it's, it's interesting. Um, it's not a blind obedience. It's interesting how this verse is worded. It's not a blind obedience. It's in a passive voice. As you are persuaded is the idea. As you are being persuaded, he says, obey them as they convince you of that their instruction is biblical. Because that's the only place they have authority over you is the word of God. And as they, as they uh, demonstrate that to you, you submit to that authority, that leadership. It's not blind obedience. And sometimes, you know, in, in the wisdom issues, when it's not spelled out black and white, that gets tough. That gets tough. Because everybody has opinions about different things. But that's the first mark Peter says. And I, I would grant to you that this authority, submitting to authority is a challenge for all of us, not just younger men. But that's the first mark he says. You want to go after your pride? Just submit to the authorities God has placed in your life. Secondly, become a slave or servant to everyone. You see in verse 5, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Um, everybody, this is everybody, clothe yourselves with humility. It simply means tie on a garment. It simply means put on the slave apron that was part of the culture of that day for a slave to wear when he was doing service. 
Put on the garment. Put on the slave apron. In the Last Supper, in John chapter 13, you can turn there. John chapter 13. Hold your hand there in 1 Peter chapter 5. But in John chapter 13, I think this is probably what Peter has in mind. This is the Last Supper. All the way, on the way to this Last Supper, they're arguing about who is the greatest. That was their, you know, who is going to get the best place in the kingdom. That was always their concern. And they get to the place where they're going to have the Last Supper, and there's nobody there to wash feet. That was the custom. A slave would be present to wash feet of those who were dining so that because you, you would wear sandals and your feet would be dirty, and that was just something they would do. And you're going to be laying down, everybody, your feet are going to be in everybody's face, so you, know, you want to do something about your feet. But there's nobody to do that. There's nobody to do that. John 13, the feast of the Passover, that's what, that's what we're talking about. It's right before Jesus is going to die, be put on the cross. You see that in verse 1. Uh, he loved his own, verse 1, who were in the world. He loved them to the end, we're told in verse 1. And Jesus is turning his attention now to his disciples. And he's going he's to provide them with a picture here of what it means to clothe yourselves with humility. This is a picture of clothing yourself with humility. Verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from the supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. That is putting on that apron. Took off his outer garments and put on this apron. That would have been the custom. Here the creator of the world is about to wash feet. He poured water into the basin, verse 5 says, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. And that took on the role of a servant, and he did this. This is not establishing foot washing, by the way, a foot washing ceremony that we have to have. I don't think that's the prerequisite that's being laid out here for us or, or something that's going to be required of us to do. That's fine if you want to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Just understand that this passage is not teaching that we should all be, this should be part of our service and we should be doing that because folks, quite frankly, you can wash somebody's feet and be proud. You missed the whole point of why you're doing it. Just going through the mo- outward motions of something does not deal with your pride problem. It certainly, it certainly is what it means to clothe yourself with humility, to, do, to stoop down and to serve somebody else. It's certainly what this is about. And that's more the issue, what's going on in the heart. John Calvin said, feet washing. He said, many who practice it think that just by doing this, they have done their duty. That's a good statement. He's not inaugurating a ceremony, but he's just illustrating, stooping down to serve and meet needs, to clothe yourself. Verse 12 of, uh, go down to verse 12 of John 13. So when he, heard, when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done f- to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you are right, for so I am. If then the, te- the Lord and teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. That's what he's saying. Clothe yourselves with humility. Put the apron of a slave on. Verse 15, I gave you an example that you also should do as I do to you. Turn to Philippians 2. You're familiar with this passage. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. 
Verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Uh, Selfishness is you're seeking your personal goals. Um, Empty conceit, you're seeking uh, glory, personal glory. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. The word regard um, is an interesting word. It means to evaluate something. It means to come to a verdict about something. So he's saying regard one another as more important than yourselves. So you're making a a verdict here. You're basically saying um, other people are superior to me. It doesn't mean... Um, this is interesting. You're not, it doesn't mean that somebody might actually be smarter than you. It doesn't mean that you're actually smarter than somebody else. That's not even the issue here. It's just that I'm going to view somebody else as superior to me. That's the verdict I have on them. They are more important than me. They are more important to me. I, it's not an issue of am I more intelligent than they are or any of those kinds of things. That has nothing to do with it. My verdict on this is that they are superior they are more important. Everybody else is more deserving than I am. It's a verdict that goes like that. Verse 4 says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And that's what true humility does. It's always looking to others. It's looking for ways to serve them and to seek their welfare. And and the example we have in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. It's the incarnation. Become a slave, like, become a slave and servant like Christ, who although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that's rooted in the incarnation and what Christ did. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see yourself to your spouse? Clothed in humility? To your children? To people you work with? Clothed in humility? That they're more important than you? Boy, that's tough. Lloyd-Jones says it's the only way you're ever going to get there is to go to the cross, go to the cross, and just think about that this is what it took for me to be made right with God. My sin was so horrible that Christ had to do what he did on the cross. He had to die for my sin. That's the reason Jesus died on the cross It shows me how awful my sin was that it required the death of the Son of God. That's humbling. That's humbling. And so you want to to attack your pride? You got it. I guarantee you, you got it. I got it. You want to attack our pride? Then find somebody to serve. Those situations you're in right now, find ways to serve and clothe yourselves. Put on that servant's apron and serve. We must put on the garments of humility. If the willingness is there, I guarantee you the opportunities will come. If the willingness to serve people is there, you will have lots of opportunities to do it. So I want, if I want to get out of my prideful, self-centered life, self-preoccupied life, then I need to serve others. 
Number three, and finally, this is the, the third imperative. You see this in verse six. Verse six says this, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Because, because God is opposed to the proud and because God gives grace to the humble, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Make yourself low, that's the idea. Or it means to humble yourself, means to bow before somebody. It means to recognize, and this is interesting about this statement, it means to recognize God's authority in your life. Submit to his word in obedience. Um, We have been chosen by him to obey Christ. That's what he's saying. Bow down before him. And this has to do with providence, okay? This has to do with providence of God as well. When, when they used the term, the mighty hand of God, they were talking about the God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over everything. God's providence is how he works out that sovereignty. The events of life that he orchestrates to work out his sovereign control over everything. And so basically I'm saying, God, I want to submit to your sovereignty. God, I want to submit to your providence. Those circumstances that you orchestrate that come at me every day. I want to submit under the mighty hand of God. And I want to recognize his sovereign control in my life. I want to recognize that there are no, there are no events that take place that you are not in control of. That's what this verse is talking about. That if I, want, if I want to confront the pride in my heart, then I submit to God's sovereignty. I quit trying to run things and let him be in charge. I quit trying to question everything he does and start submitting to what he does. I think it begins with knowing the character of God. I got an I got a, a email recently a while back from somebody complaining about everything that was going on in their life and how bad God was for all the things that he allowed in their life. And all I could think about as I read that was they don't know God. They need to know his attributes. They need to know his character. They need to get drawn near to him. This is exactly what Job did. He sat in mourning. He sat in pain for chapter after chapter after chapter. He comes to the end. He starts having conversations with God about his condition and about his, how he's put the world together. And God, and God basically says, well, Job, do you want to be God? Can you do what I do? And to which Job's final conclusion at the end of the book of Job in chapter 42 is this, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I just heard things about you, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Listen, I really believe if you're going to submit to the mighty hand of God, it requires an encounter with God. I believe it it requires you to know God, to trust his sovereign hand, when you struggle, I think when we struggle with pride, it's because we haven't come to see God in his glory and all of his majesty. When, when uh, Isaiah had that vision of God in Isaiah 6, he was humbled. I want to be humbled. I need to be humbled before the mighty hand of God. I need to see him for who he is and who he really is.
He says he will exalt him in the proper time, and that may be in this life, it may be in the next, but Philippians 2 is an interesting verse. I always think about this verse. You don't have to turn there, but in 12 through 14, you're familiar with this. Work out your salvation, Paul says. Verse 13 says, it is God who is at work in you. Your part, work out your salvation. God's part, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Then verse 14 says, do all things without complaining. Isn't that interesting? I usually complain. I usually complain. He knows, I'm, he knows I have the potential to complain about the way God is working all things out for his will and his pleasure. But that's what he's saying. Do not complain. Do not complain. Look at verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Uh, and this is not a new sentence. The word casting just is a participle that modifies the main verb, humble yourselves. The word casting. And it tells us how to humble ourselves before under the mighty hand of God. And this is a huge test. This is a huge test of our, our humility right here because casting means you throw something on to someone else. Casting is what happens in Luke chapter 19 when you see the disciples throwing the, the blankets or whatever on the, the donkey or the, the colt for Christ, as a saddle for Christ to ride on. They're casting them on. That's the word used there. You see it in casting nets. You're throwing them out onto something else. That's the idea. You're casting your anxieties on, or cares is another use of that word as well, but you're casting your anxieties on him. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And so he's saying, when you're praying, he's saying we are to throw on God anything that makes us anxious because he cares for you. It does matter to him. And so that's a simple test of your humility. When you have cares and concerns, do you cast them? Is that a signal for you to pray? Is that a signal for you to give them and cast them on to God. When we don't do that, we say we're, we're independent, we're self-sufficient, or it's pride. See, humility, humility believes that all things do work together for good. Humility believes that. Humility does believe that God is in control of everything that comes into our life. Humility believes that. I'm not saying humility doesn't struggle with that, but humility believes that, that there are no mistakes with God. He's doing all things to conform us to the image of his son. I think if you're gonna grow in, in casting your anxieties on him, you need to grow in his sovereignty, you need to grow in understanding his providence. You need to understand that more and more that all the struggles that we go through are a part of him just making us more like Jesus, anxiety and worry, I've thought, I've thought a lot about this, and, and basically what it comes down to is his unbelief. That's what it is. Anxiety and worry is unbelief. And unbelief is a sin. And I, I do this, I, I have anxieties and worries and things like that, but the point is when, when you sit down and just think about it, you're basically saying to God, I do not trust you. 
That is like somebody who you love, like your child or your wife or your husband or somebody walking up to you. There's somebody that you love, somebody walking, they walk up to you and say, I don't trust you. That's what you're saying to God. I don't trust you. We need to call it what it is. It's unbelief. We can hide it behind some medical term all we want to, but down the bottom line is unbelief. It's unbelief. I don't trust him. I don't believe that he has a better plan. Jerry Bridges says, when I give way to, my, to anxiety, I am believing that God is not capable and will not take care of me. And that's what I do. That's what I'm saying to God by just deciding I'm just going to be anxious all the time. I just have to fight for, I have to fight for faith. <laughs> That's a fight. My flesh wants to worry. My flesh wants to take matters into my own hands. My flesh wants to not believe. I have to fight for faith. The Christian life is a fight sometimes like that. I have to tell myself what's true, that God is sovereign that he's providential. His, his providence is being worked out. He orchestrates the events of my life. He brings these things into my life for a reason. And the, the goal of it all is to conform me to the image of Jesus. That is what he wants for every Christian in this room. And that is a painful process, my friends. It is a painful process to become more like Christ because it attacks the very core of your being, which is a prideful heart. Jesus said it was the pagans who did all the worrying. They were the worriers. You remember that in Matthew chapter 6? You don't have to turn there, but he says, don't worry about things like what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink. For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need these things. See, this is how unbelievers live. They have, listen, unbelievers have a lot to worry about. They have a lot to worry about. But for us, he says, your heavenly Father cares about you. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. They, the unbelievers had gods that they would have to go feed. They had gods that they would have to appease by taking food to the gods. Those gods never gave them any food. Sometimes they would think when the food was missing that the gods ate it, but the gods didn't eat it. It was those priests that ate it. But the point is, they had to appease their gods to make their gods like them and hope they would like them and hope they would bring favor to them. Our God is not like that. He says these idols they worship demanded things. So anxiety is mistrusting God and it's a pagan thing. It's not a Christian thing. And it's based in humility. Sometimes you just got to stop fighting the circumstances because you hate them so much. And you got to start thinking like I heard Joni Erickson Tata say recently, sometimes God just wants to change things up in your life because you and I always want normal so bad. I thought that was profound when she said that. Here she's sitting in a wheelchair for 60 years of her life or not quite 60, 50 something years of her life, paralyzed. He cares for you. Well, do you believe that? Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Just let your anxieties and cares be a signal to pray. Because he does care about every single detail. 
Listen, we want to be a humble church. We want to submit to the legitimate authorities in our life. We want to be those who are clothed in humility, and we want to be those who are submitting to the sovereign God and all the things He brings in our life. And these people, by the way, in 1 Peter, were being brought a lot of suffering, a lot of trials, and a lot of difficulties. And it was all in the will of God. <laughs> Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you, Father, for your truth. I pray, God, that you would work um, in each heart here this morning as we think about pride, as we think about how we manifest pride in our relationships and how we manifest pride to you and, and how, we, how we, God, just dishonor you in that way. God, we don't want to be those who are opposed by you. We want to be those who are receiving grace upon grace. And I pray, Father, that you would just uh, go before us this, as we leave this place today. And I pray that we would take that message of grace, take that message of hope, be ambassadors for Christ, and point others to our Savior. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.